We're thinking about identity. We're wrestling with the question of who we are. Now, what I would say to you is, no matter how you dress it up, this is, it might have been the question of all the ages, but it's definitely the question of our age. Whether we are gawping out to space, whether we are internalizing and psychoanalyzing ourselves, whether we are digging around at our family trees, or whether we are trying to plan our futures, whether we are um, making our social media profiles cooler, whether we are assessing our social media, whether we are considering all of the questions of today about sexuality, about gender, about personal identities, we are trying to figure out who we are. And as I look at this obsession, I think it is a bit of an obsession, part of me, just like sometimes I'm just a simple man and I want to I go, I think we should just chill out about all this. Can't we just enjoy today? Can't we just forget about all this? But actually, and even though I want to critique everyone that talks about identity, because I feel like it's blooming everywhere, actually, if we, could f- if we could figure out who we actually are in this huge cosmos, in this room in Cass, if we actually could know our purpose, man, wouldn't that be a game changer? Wouldn't that help us out day to day if we knew exactly what we were here for? Now, the journey of faith, the Bible is lots of things. It's attending church. There's loads of rules in it. It's all that kind of stuff. But it is also, it's also a journey, a description, a help guide for you to know exactly who you are. Exactly how you ended up here on earth. What there is there for you to do to sort of paraphrase paraphrase some of Paul's letters. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't that be a game changer for you to know exactly who you are? The Bible is a story of God's help and a story of salvation, but it's also a book that tells us who we are. It's a book that tells us who we are. So this story in Samuel... It's going to shed light on ourselves. It's going to do three things. And it looks like, judging by the clock, we've got like five or six minutes on each, but it'll be all good. Circumstances don't define us. Circumstances don't define us. Circumstances shape us, but they don't define us. Our convictions do. That's the first thing. It's better to live by a tiny truth than with a load of half-truths. It's better to live with the tiniest little truth that you can hold than a load of half-truths. And the identity search that you will go on will always be an aching one. Circumstances don't define us, convictions do. Better to live by faith, better to live by a tiny truth than a load of half-truths. And the identity search will ache us. So I'm going to tell you the story again. I want you to said I'll do this. I want you to be in this story. I've read it out to you already. I've had the pleasure of, like, what a blessing. I get to read this book um, as, as a job, for a job, and I get to study it. So I've had this story sort of rinsing, soaking through my skin all week, and it's just, and I've been able to see it in my head, and my head can go all sorts of places, but it's such a great story. Let me remind you that these are Philistines, and Israelites. It's a battle environment. Paul said it in the past, 
I've said it as well. It's like, think Game of Thrones, the Viking series that's out there. The Philistines were sea people. It's all fighting. It's all nicking people. It's all intermarriage. It's all thing, different things that are God's. It's all that kind of environment. And the Israelites in this moment are on the back end. The, the Philistines are just ripping it up. They have said something relatively street. Brilliant. Thank you, Matthew Boyd. They're, they're, they're absolutely all over it. They are bashing into Israel. They are all over them, all over them to the extent. Did you see the element of comedy that is in the start of that story? The Philistines have got no weapons. So what are they going to try and do? How are they going to try and fight? This is out of it, like my textbook for resolving problems. It's go and take your farming gear and get that sharpened up. They've got no weapons. There's two swords in the whole of the army. They are in a huge predicament, and they need to act. They've got to do something. There's a lovely little contrast of characters. It's an important one to note. There's two, protag- Can you have two protagonists, two main characters in this story, Saul and Jonathan. Did you notice where Saul was? I tried to draw enough attention for you to sort of grab onto it. Saul is on the outskirts. Saul's on the outskirts of town. Yes, this is verse like one through three, if, if we can put it up so people can sort of follow along, or you can follow along on your phone. Saul's on the outskirts, under a pomegranate tree. Culturally, if you're under a pomegranate tree, you're pontificating, you're thinking things through, or you're stalling. You might even be dilly-dallying. He's under that pomegranate tree with 600 men. So he's sat, and he's under a tree, and he's on the outskirts. But that's not where Jonathan is. Jonathan, if you can remember the story and read through the text, Jonathan is on the move. And he doesn't have 600 men, he's got one man. And he's right at the heart of the battle. That's something that we are supposed to see in the story. And he's in the heart of the battle. And this is, this is like Lord of the Rings style. I know there must be a better reference. That's 10, 15 years ago, I know that. This is a Lord of the Rings style heroic attack. They don't try and sneak up. It's just proper, awesome, like, stuff. It's just like we're going to walk straight up the middle. And we're going to let you... See us. This is the, it's a crazy plan. This is the plan. Maybe even we'll let you see us and they'll think because you've seen us, we're not actually going to follow through with it. The enemy sees them and Jonathan is so heroic, he sees that as a sign. I think if I'm being really honest, I would see that as the opposite of a sign. If I saw 20 beastie Philistines up there, I'd think this is time to go home. But that's not what David thought and he carried on. Jonathan. I kept doing that as I rehearsed this preach. I kept thinking, David, but it was, thank you. It was Jonathan. He was bold. Then the text, verse 13 to 14, totally surprises him. We read in the text, I think it's verse 13 and 14, it's like he's climbing up, ascending the top of the mountain. And they are totally freaked. They're going to absolute meltdown. And as I imagine it, it is Lord of the Rings. It's two guys back to back, ripping it up giving victory to Israel. But watching on, and I don't really know where they were, but watching on is Saul and the rest of the army. Now they're chatting, so this is kind of verse 15 through to 23, they're chatting about, should we get involved? Should we jump in? It looks like it's going really well. But Saul, remember, is dilly-dallying. I hope everyone's familiar with the expression dilly-dallying. Perhaps not everybody is. He's stalling for time. And he says, most of the troops, let's see how many we've got. That is just, that's, he's got 600 men. It's going to take ages. That's, let me just, let's just stop. We don't have to rush in. Maybe it'll, it'll happen on its own. Then he says, go and get the ark. We'll do a ritual. 
stalling for time. God's already told him what to do. Then, seeing how well it's going, seeing that they're all legging it, seeing that the Israelites are buoyed, he says, all right, let's go in. And Israel wins the battle that day. Jonathan inspires the change. Then you've got this weird, weird, weird ending where Saul says, right, it's almost like he's owning the moment or he's got some regrets with God or he's trying to use God as a bit of a lucky charm. He says, right, nobody's eating. I'm going to make a vow and nobody's going to eat till we totally finish these guys off. And the end of the story on this glorious day is that everybody's sad. It's a bitter, sweet story. As I imagined it, it's a bit like the company that you work for winning some sort of prestigious award, but then you find out that your boss has been ripping everybody off for the last five years. Maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's something that you've seen. There's just this, what do we do? We've won an amazing award. Yay. It's like a bittersweet story. What do we do with this story? So there's three things. Circumstances don't define us. Our convictions do. Israel was just in a total pickle. It was in total disarray. Everything had gone, gone against it. it. It had a king that wasn't leading. It made bad calls. It stalled them. The enemy was outsmarting them. The enemy was bullying them. The circumstances were terrible. The circumstances were threatening to define the nation. The circumstances were defining the king at the time. Sometimes it feels like that for us, I think. Our circumstances can be so overwhelming that we can end up disappearing underneath them. The everyday events that are around us, our responsibilities, our duties, depending on what age you're at, looking after people, looking after a relative, bringing up kids, going to work, paying the bills, falling out with somebody, the ongoing effort to keep up with the Joneses that is all of our stories in life. Sometimes our circumstances, I don't know if you've had this, I've, sometimes not to be too like overly dramatic, but sometimes it feels like we just almost disappear underneath our circumstances. Our identity just gets swallowed up and we're like, who even am I? I just do all this stuff. We become our circumstances. That's on a personal level. If we think about how we exist in light of like the national or the historical sweep of life, there are so many events that would define us. We switch on our phones, the media that we read, the culture that we live in, the, the images that we are shown. We are so shaped and moved. It's, it's not unfair to say for us to question, is there any authentic thoughts in our heads sometimes? And yet, that is not what defines us. Do you see the story? See like the beauty in the story? Israel's circumstances are horrific. And yet, Jonathan holds on to one promise. Like a beautiful little verse in verse 6, if it's up there, chapter 14. God could save us by many or by few. 
God is Israel's savior. This was his conviction, not the surrounding circumstances, but the God who loved and saved Israel. This is what he saw, and this is what came to define him. We, aren't, we, aren't, we are massively shaped by our circumstances. Whatever you will do tomorrow, whatever you will do the next day, but they are not the things that define us, that identify who we are. One of, my, uh, one of the characters is a rugby league player, Rob Burrow, who I've just, what's the right word, just become really intrigued by, really aware of. He got his MND diagnosis a few years ago, and I happened to see him a couple of days after, and I've followed the story forever. And this diagnosis, if, you've, if you know anything about MND, it totally, it's totally taken over all of his physicality. It's, you would look at it and say, that's his story. And yet, when you see him, actually, who he is, is not defined by the circumstances that he faces. He's still the crazy determined guy that he was, that he was when he was playing for Leeds. What defines him? is something deeper than that. What defines us is not the circumstances that we face. They shape us, but they don't define us. Can you, can you hold on to that for a second? Now, what you say, perhaps, in that moment is, that's a nice notion, Ash. Be nice to think that we could live based on our convictions. Be nice to know that that was the thing uh, that, that fueled us. But the truth of it is, I'll go back to work tomorrow, or I'll go back to my normal life tomorrow, and I'll become immersed in the circumstances again. This is why the gospel matters. Can you imagine a world where we lived by our convictions? Things that were important to us, things that were beautiful, things that we recognized as really good things. And yet we get swamped by the circumstances of life. This is why the gospel really counts. This is why I want to go, you should listen to this story if you've never heard this story before. Jesus goes around and lives out a life that encounters loads of people who are stuck in their circumstances. They've got no chance of getting out of their circumstances. And by how he lives, <clears throat> by what he reveals to them about the world, the love that's out there, the greater purposes that are out there, he changes them from people that are defined by their circumstances to people that are defined by something bigger, by the convictions of their hearts. And the reason that we can trust this is because he goes to the cross, faces death in the worst possible circumstances. Circumstances that should mean that he's defined by hate or anger or lostness, and yet he's defined by love. That's what's revealed. So we're not, we're not defined by our circumstances. Whatever is going on, whatever the pressing matters are, that is not the bottom of you. That is not ultimately who you are. Your heart convictions will better define you than that. That's the first thing. Second thing, <clears throat> better a little absolute truth than a Lord of half-truths. In this story, it's really cool when you identify it. It's one guy, not discounting his armor-bearer, but kind of discounting his armor-bearer. One guy, one sword for the whole army. <clears throat> one guy, one sword for the whole army, and one conviction. God is going to save his people. 
By many or by few, God is going to save his people. And that changes the whole course of the story. Hanging on to that conviction, one guy, one sword, one conviction, changes the whole story. The absolute truth of it. God, is, God said he's going to save Israel. I can see everything else is going crackers. I can see it looks like we've got no chance, but I can have faith that God is going to affect and save his people. This is something, I think, this idea of holding on to a tiny truth that we already know. We know this. There are some wisdoms uh, that percolate our conversations. Better one true friend than a thousand acquaintances. Better one soldier who believes in the cause than a hundred who don't. We kind of know the wisdom of this. It's better to live our lives hanging on to the thing that is true than surrounding ourselves with a bunch of things, no matter how many they are or how good they look, that might not be quite true. We get the wisdom of this. And we have truths in our lives. This is what, I say this, this is what I assume, this is what I think. We have truths in our lives that we are convicted of. If you went on the drive home and started to think through these things, you'd have some wonderful things that you believe are divinely true. Imagine, imagine if you lived out your life by those truths that you know. Imagine if it was just that one that Jonathan had. God's ultimately going to save us. Can you imagine how much that would change your life or the lives of other people? If that was the one thing that you held on to with all of your might, just that one thing. Yet, the truth of it is, the reality of it is for me, that's not where we stay. We live in and are swamped by so much half-truth. We live in an overused term, but we live in a post-truth world, don't we? There are so much half-truths, so much things that are not entirely true that we let shape our lives. You need to keep up with them. You need to look like this to be happy. Little half-truths that end up defining who we are. One of the illustrations Jesus used most often to explain what it's like to develop real meaning and real purpose, to learn who you are, was that of a seed in a garden. Jesus goes to this story over and over again. A tiny but dynamic thing that can blow away or can thrive. It's the parable of the sower and parables like it. Two things I want to point out from that. Part of it, I think, Jesus is explaining the reality of what life is like. Life can feel like the truth that you found can get swallowed up at any point. It can feel like that. It can feel like these gems of little truth that you've got are so vulnerable to the world around you. You can disappear under the circumstances of life. But it also tells us that God does great things when absolute truths are properly embraced. God does amazing things with even the tiniest absolute truth that is properly embraced. Last thing I want us to think about is wrap it up. The identity search that we're on will cause us to ache. 
this had been an amazing day in the life of Israel. And yet at the end of the story, read with me verse 23 and 24. In the story of Samuel and the story of Kings, these books all come together. We're learning about Kings, but we're not always necessarily learning how we need to follow them, even the good ones. We're learning a bigger story about Kings than that. At the end of this day that should have been a day of triumph, verse 23, 24, the people are all fed up. The war's not won, verse 23, I think it's verse 23 or 24, the war's just moved on. And the king that's been ruling them, he's still made their lives a misery, even though it's been an amazing day. The story of 1 Samuel is about the story for a search for a perfect king, even a good king. Maybe even a great monarch. I think we could say that Elizabeth was a great monarch. Even a great monarch could leave us bittersweet. Even a great monarch even the 96 years we had of a great monarch still left us searching for something more. The identity search always leaves a little ache. Why, Why the ache? Here's my two penneth worth. The ache is because we're not yet with the perfect king. The story of this world is heading towards our reunion with the perfect king. That's where our identity search is. We are made for more. We are waiting on a kingdom not yet realized. We're not defined by our circumstances. There's a truth that if we find it and we water it and we nurture it, it can make us flourish. But it'll ache. It'll still ache. This is who you are. This is what it's like until, until he reigns.